Thank you guys, thanks for that warm welcome, I really appreciate that. Uh, if it's your first time here this morning, we don't normally have all of these technical issues and we are still wrestling with a new building and kind of getting used to it and it's going to take a you know, bit of time till it gets to where we want it to be, but don't hold your breath on that because we're expecting by the time we get the building to where we want it to be, we'll be ready to move out and move into the next one. So we're not getting too settled here, that's the plan. Um, I heard a funny story this week. It was about a lady, and it ties in with what I want to talk about this morning. She was feeling quite lonely. So her plan, she was an older lady, and her plan was to buy herself a parrot. So she went, uh, took herself down to the pet shop, picked up a parrot, and took it home. She got the cage, got it set up, put the parrot in the cage, sat down in her armchair, expectant, waiting for the parrot to talk to her, because obviously that's what parrots do. And nothing happened. She waited and waited and, and nothing happened. So the next day she goes back to the pet shop and she says to the guy in the pet shop, she says, the parrot didn't speak to me. So the guy says, yeah. He says, I know what the problem is. He says, you need a little ladder. He says, parrots, they like to run up and down the ladder. So you get a little ladder, put it in the cage. Parrot will be really happy. Once it's happy, it'll start talking to you. So the lady says, oh, fine, that's fair enough. I'll do that. So she gets herself a little ladder, takes it home, puts it in the cage, Parrot, sure enough, starts running up and down the little ladder. So she's thinking, great, the parrot's happy. It's going to start speaking to me. So she sits down and waits all expectant. Next day, she's back at the pet shop. Parrot's still not speaking to me. He says, oh, he says, I know what it is. He says, a swing. He said, you need a little swing for the parrot. He says, parrots, they love to have a little swing. When the parrot's happy, it'll talk to you. That's what parrots do. So off she goes, takes the swing home, puts the swing in the cage. She sat there waiting, all expectant. Parrot looks really happy, running up and down the ladder, swinging on the swing. Next day, she's back at the pet shop. Parrot still won't speak to me. What do I do? He says, I know what it is. You need a mirror. Parrots, they love to look at themselves in the mirror. Get yourself a mirror, put it in the cage, all will be well. So she does that, takes it home. She's convinced this time it's going to work. She puts the mirror in the cage. Parrot has a look in the mirror, sorts its hair out, scurries up and down the ladder, has a little swing. She waits and waits and waits. You've guessed it. Next day, she's back at the pet shop. The parrot's dead! She says. To which the guy... In the pet shop's really frustrated. He says, oh my goodness. He says, did it speak? Did it say anything before it died? She said, yeah. He said, did it not sell food at that pet shop? <laughs> Come on, let's say it like we mean it. I am a child of God. So I'm entitled to all the benefits that brings. Right now, I'm ready to listen to all that God has to say to me and to respond with faith, belief, and to be changed by his word. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, are we in faith this morning? Are we expecting this morning to hear from God? This is good. This is excellent. This is really good. Could we just bring that mic down at us? Because I'm going to be loud and I don't want the mic making me excessively loud. And I'm aware that it's quite dark up here. So I'm going to stand close to the edge so you can see me okay. Uh, today is the first week of our new series, our Relationship Rescue Series. Yeah, Relationship Rescue Series. You see, the thing is that we were created, you were created to be in relationship with others. Are you aware of that? 
You were created. God made us to be in relationship with others. Relationship, communication, just, just all of that closeness is massive. It is one of the major, major reasons that you are here on this earth, to be in relationship with others. So over the next five or six weeks, we want to focus on that as a church and really devote some time to healthy relationships in the church. You see, you cannot live a fulfilling life. You cannot be all that God called you to be without having healthy relationships with others. Fulfilling relationships with others. Long-lasting relationships with others. We need those things. If you want to live a full life and you want to be truly happy and fulfilled, then you need to have long-lasting, healthy, meaningful meaningful relationships with others. And I want to talk about three key areas this morning that will help us, hopefully. That I think that we need to focus on it. Maybe things that you've heard before. But if you know anything about the history of the Bible, if you know anything about God, then you will know that there's certain things that we need to hear. We need to hear over and over again. We need to keep reminding ourselves so that we can stay strong in our faith. It's like going to the gym. Who goes to the gym once, works out, does a fantastic workout, feels great, they've done every single area of the body, and then says, right, I am done now, that's me sorted for the gym. It doesn't work like that, does it? You have to keep at it. You have to keep revisiting. You have to keep reminding yourself. And so it is with the Word of God as well. We need to keep reminding ourselves of the important key points that, that will keep us healthy, that will keep us right. It's vital that we do these things. You see, you could achieve incredible things with your life. You could be the captain of your area. You, I know a few teachers in the church. I'm looking around and seeing a few, more than a few teachers, some training teachers, you name it. I was a teacher myself. You could be the best teacher on the planet. You could be absolutely excellent. You could rise to be headmaster, headmistress, you name it. You could be the, the very best. You could be an expert in your field. You could find the cure for cancer. You could find the cure for cancer. You could be incredibly respected. You could end up being a lord. You could be the next Lord Sugar or Lady Sugar. But I don't believe that you will have fulfilled your life unless you have healthy relationships. You could do all of those things, but without having healthy, deep, and meaningful relationships in your life, your life is a failure. We were built to be in relationship with each other and with God. And with God. And with God. They are the two. If in fact, think about this. This is later on in my notes, but we'll go there right now. The two greatest commandments. Come on, the world out there knows about the Ten Commandments. And we're going to look at one of them this morning. We're going to touch on one of the Ten Commandments this morning. But the world knows the commandments really well. If you said to them, what are the commandments? They'd reel off the ten. Some of them might be able to reel them off. They'd certainly know one or two of them. 
But what they probably wouldn't know is that Jesus said this. He said, the two greatest commandments are this, to love the Lord your God with basically everything in your heart, everything you've got, all your strength, all your spiritual strength, all your physical strength, all your emotional strength, with every area you've got. And then he said, the second commandment, he said, that's the greatest, but the second one is just as important. It's almost a paradox right there, isn't it? Because he's saying that one's the greatest, but then he gives you a paradox by saying, no, the second one actually is equally important, and that is to love each other. To love each other just the same. To prefer one another. To put each other first. To be in relationship. He said this, he said, all of the commandments and the law, 600, or is it 730? I always get this mixed up. Either 700 or 630. Some scholars will be able to tell me that. All of the commandments, all of the laws in the Old Testament, he said they all hang on those two. It's like the curtain pole for the curtains. They all hang on it. Without those two, they fall down and they mean nothing. We need to have healthy relationships with God and each other. But I want to focus this morning on each other. I want to focus on how we can have healthy relationships with each other. How we can be whole. Because when we start doing this, when we have healthy relationships, when we know how to interact well, when we become really good at it, your life becomes more fulfilled. Deep, meaningful relationships with more and more people. It is incredible. Who wants that? Who doesn't want to have more deep and meaningful relationships with people? I can't imagine there's anyone. You can't just spend your life on achieving things and ignore your responsibilities. I want to say this to you, to have deep and meaningful relationships with others, to live your life thinking about others, thinking about your connections, your interactions with others, not just building your career, not just achieving things, not just building a big bank balance or getting the house that you want or the car that you want or the title that you want or any of these things, but actually to fulfill your responsibility your responsibility to think about others, young people in here this morning. Start your life well. And you know what? You know when Jesus said, right, that all of the commandments hang on those two? Your life hangs on the value, on the strength of your relationships with others. If you have strong, healthy, meaningful, deep relationship with others, everything else will fall into place. You could be less qualified than someone else. You could find out that actually you're not in, as intelligent. You don't have the qualifications that someone else has got. But guess what? You know how to relate with people. You know how to be with people. You know what it means to put others first. And you will rise far above far above them. Not that it's a, it's a race to get to the top or any of those things. That's not the point I'm making this morning. I don't think we judge people by where they, where they land in the company. I don't think that's, the, that's our judgment of people. I think you could have the most meaning, what, what's, the, what's the word? The most insignificant, if you like, job in the company. Yet you can be just as important as anyone else. If that company's got the right values. If that company actually understands about people and what relationships mean. And you know what? We're a church. 
We are a church, but you cannot expect God to be happy with you. Fat Mom was talking about consequences. It's not that God is up here and he's wanting to kind of like punish you for getting these things wrong, but there are consequences to your actions. And here's the thing, if you get these things right, you will be blessed. Blessings will follow. It's not that God wants to punish you, but it's a bit like, I was kind of thinking about this and the analogy came, it's like gravity. You can't escape it, can you? If you jump out of your bedroom window every day because it's a little bit low and you just about manage to make it, it's just at the right height that you can jump off it. You do that every day and then one day you break your leg doing it. Are you going to blame God? Are you going to say, hey God, you know, I broke my leg doing that or is it just gravity and that's the effects of gravity and it's the same for all of us and it's the same for some of these rules, some of these things that I want to talk about. But if you'll commit to learning them, to developing them, to growing in these things, to devoting time to these things, then you will truly have fulfilled the greatest commandments and you will find your life is better. You will have deeper, deeper. Think about it. This is the goal, deeper relationships. Not just on the surface. The second point that I want to talk about this morning is really talking about going deeper. Deeper relationships. Not just a quick hello or a high five. Now listen, you can't have deep relationships with everyone on the planet. That's not possible, is it? But there needs to be some deep relationships in our life. We need them. Meaningful. There's a meaning about your relationships, not just about you, not just what you can get from it, but actually your relationships have a meaning, a higher meaning, a higher purpose. They are blessing others other than yourself. If you're only being blessed yourself by your relationships, by your life, you have failed. You have failed. Harsh words, I know. So come on, let's get to it. First one, if you've got notebooks with you, write down number one. First one is this. If you want to have deep, meaningful, healthy relationships, the first thing, I'm not going to give an exhaustive list because that would take us till next week and we would all get very, very tired. But the first one I want to talk about this morning, I want to focus on, is joy. Anyone happy this morning? Joy. Joy. If you want to have deep, meaningful, healthy relationships, you need joy. You need joy in your life. You need to be happy. I'm looking around to see who's got a smile on their face. What a smile. What a smile right there in the middle. What a sm- another one. Another one there right there in the middle. Yeah, yeah, right there in the middle as well coming forward. Smiling face. You need to have joy. And I can almost hear it. I can almost, you say, yeah, but Barry, you don't know what's going on in my life at the moment. You don't know how difficult things are at the moment. You don't know how how down I am and all of these things. Listen, I want to tell you this, right? Joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. You choose to be happy. It is a choice Outside things do not make you happy. They can do, but they, if, if you are solely dependent is the word, isn't it, that I'm looking for. If you are solely dependent on others, on circumstances for your joy, then you're in a mess. Right there, right now, you are in a mess. Because what are you going to do if suddenly people turn on you? Can you control that? 
You see, I know, and some of you will know this, you'll have had experiences of this, where you've had a relationship with someone, it's a friend at work, work colleague, who knows, could have been someone you dated, and suddenly just turn on you, suddenly they're just nasty to you, suddenly they're just horrible to you. And you're like, I don't know what I've done. I did everything I could, I tried everything, I thought I'd done all the right things, suddenly it's just gone disastrous. What are you going to do? You're just going to be down. Are you going to live your life where your joy is dependent upon others and how they are to you? You see, I don't think that's a way to live your life. I don't think that's the way I want to live my life because suddenly my life, I'm like a puppet. If you're living your life like that, where other people can be nasty to you and can be cruel to you and can attack you and can hurt you and suddenly you're going to be down because of that, I'm not saying it's not going to affect you. I'm not saying you're not going to be kind of hurt and feel it. We should, you know, I don't want to be a robot and not get hurt when people hurt me, but I certainly don't want it to ruin my life. I certainly don't want to spend the next week moaning and, and, and depressed over it. I want to be able to get over it. I want to be able to feel the pain. I want to be able to feel the pain and the anguish, but then I want to be able to switch it off. I want to be able to say, now, you know what? I've mourned enough now, and now the time is to get up and to live the rest of my life. The time now is to move on. Otherwise, I'm a puppet. Otherwise, anyone can literally go, do you know what? I don't like him. I'm just going to wreck his life. I'm going to start being nasty to him because I've got the remote control for his life. All I have to do is be nasty to him. All I have to do is just say a harsh word to him. Suddenly he's down. Suddenly he's depressed. Your life, your joy is not dependent upon circumstances or other people. And you might say circumstances, but you, listen, let me give you an example of circumstances right here, right now from the Word of God, right? guy called the Apostle Paul. That's what he was known as. Many of you will know who he is. Paul was a man in the Bible. In the New Testament, he's not as well known. Some Bible characters, anyone would know of them. You could go down the street, you could talk about Noah. You could go over to Little over the road and you could mention Noah to anyone in there. They'd know who you were talking about. You could men- mention Abraham. They would certainly have an idea of who he was. They'd maybe not know all the details. There's a few characters like that. The Apostle Paul, probably not as well known, but certainly as significant. This guy wrote at least a third of the New Testament. I don't know the exact figures, but he wrote the majority of it, certainly more than any other author. He, he, some people cite the Apostle Paul as being responsible for modern society. You think about British laws, the, the history of, of our government and our laws, most of the laws are biblical. You can trace the roots back to the Bible. You can trace the roots back to some of the teachings of Paul. Jesus' teachings, and really what Paul was doing was he was writing down what, what God wanted him to say. He was a a mouthpiece for God to the non-Jewish people, although he was a Jew himself. He was a leader, led many, many churches. He was also one of the worst treated people in the New Testament. We talked about it actually last week, mentioned some of the things he went through. He lists them, being shipwrecked, being beaten, being whipped, you name it. This guy was treated. He was thrown in prison. I want to share just some snippets of some verses from a a, a book in the New Testament called Philippians. And here's the thing about this book. If you're saying to me, hey, but Barry, you don't know what I'm going through at the moment. You don't know how hard it is for me at the moment. I cannot be happy. Circumstances are so bad that I kind of have to be down. Well, listen, as a personal thing, it's what I say to my kids, right? 
it probably seems like that, right? It probably seems like how many times in a situation does something happen and it feels like I should be down, yeah? It feels like I should be down, right? It's a lie. Who says? Who says? Who says? When my daughter was starting high school and she was kind of, she was dead calm and then she was speaking to some other people and they were all nervous and I could almost see it on her face. She was, there was almost this concern that, hey, uh, should I be nervous here? Should I be down? And I, and I was saying to her, don't be dictated to by others. Don't be looking at how other people are reacting to situations and suddenly feeling like that's the way you should be reacting. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote this book, was in prison. Yeah. Now, I heard the other day, a few weeks ago, from a friend that apparently they have mobile phones in prison now. Yeah, yeah, seriously. They've got, in fact, a mate, a friend in Bradford, he was telling me about how he's got a friend who's in prison and he was on the phone to him in prison on his mobile in his cell, from, as I understand it, yeah. I think the idea is, right, there's that many mobile phones in the prison, we may as well just give them to them, and then we've got a bit of control over it. I think that's the idea. Anyway, but the point I'm making is this, right, they've probably got flat screen tellies and all that. No, I'm exaggerating a little bit there. But here's the thing, right, the prison that Paul was in, there was no, like, mobile phones. There was the Human Rights Act, you know, like, there was a guy on, on, I think it was in Strange Ways in Manchester, actually. There was a guy famously, maybe 20, 30 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, and he's on there, he's on the top of the roof, and he's picking slates off the roof, and he's chucking them down at the police, right? And do you know what the police are doing? They're sending him a McDonald's up because it's his human right that he's got to have food. <laughs> I just find that a little bit ludicrous. There's, there is an irony in there that's a bit mad, isn't there? You know what I mean? Right, I promise you, right, it wasn't like that in the prison that Paul was in. Yeah, the prison that Paul was in was more like a sewer. He, he was doing well. He was having to write to people. His friends in the church were having to bring in blankets to keep him warm. That's the kind of context to where Paul was at. Are we getting this, yeah? Is anyone in it as bad as that right now? Anyone? You might feel like you are, but probably not. I don't know, maybe... From prison, where he's being beaten, where he's cold, naked, he's being mistreated, probably being persecuted because of his faith as well by other prisoners. Although actually, he, he trans, if you read between the lines of what Paul says, he transformed the prison. He, his, in fact, we'll talk about his attitude to it in a minute. He says this, in, in chapter 1 verse 6, he says, I am confident. He's in prison. For a crime he never committed. Didn't commit a crime. He said, I am confident <laughs> that God will. That God will. Will what? Will do everything that he said he would do. Everything that he said he would do. He said this, he said, everything that's happened to me here has been for good. Do you get that? What are you going through right now? Have you tried saying that? Because if you think, well, how can I say that? Because everything that's happened to me, 
it wasn't good. And I know, I know some people's circumstances, and I know some of the stuff some people in here, some friends, close friends, people who I love dearly have gone through, right? And, and I would agree, that, you know, you look at it and you go, that's not good. That's not right. You've been mistreated. You've been abused. But it's a choice to say that what's happened to me has been for good because actually that says, what that says is this. It says, no, circumstances aren't in control. Man is not in control. Other people are not dictating what happens to my life. God is in control. He has the final say. And he says this in his word. He says that everything works together for the good of those who are called according to his plans and purposes. Everything works together for good. Everything works together for good. That's how Paul could say it. He said, make my joy complete. Think about that. He said, make my joy complete. To make my joy complete means that he's already in joy in prison. In a prison where he's in a sewer, being beaten and mistreated, doesn't know whether he's going to get out. He's cold, he's naked, all of these things. And he says, make my joy complete. He's complaining that his joy isn't quite complete. I've got joy, it's just not quite there yet. Help me out to get it full. Not like, get me out of this place, because then I'll be happy. He's not saying that. He's not saying, make my joy complete by get me out of this rotten cell. He says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. That implies he wasn't grumbling or complaining himself in the middle of the cell, in the sewer, in the cold, being naked and all of that stuff, etc., etc., etc. Wow. Are you, are you getting this? I mean, this is like, as I'm preaching this, I feel like I'm preaching to myself. I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of getting this stuff. I don't write this stuff. This is the Bible, isn't it? God wrote this, not me. I'm just kind of getting it together and bringing it to you. I'm just a mouthpiece. But I'm like, wow, I'm, 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 as I'm up here, I'm getting blessed. Come on, anyone else? <sighs> he says, rejoice when you get out. No. It's not easy, I'm getting it, getting it. It's, he doesn't say rejoice when you get out. Rejoice when the heating comes on. Rejoice when we manage to fix the lighting and get the problem sorted. Rejoice when blah, 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 blah. You know, praise when everything's... You know, I wanted to kind of get up in the worship and I wanted to say, do you know what? Let's just pull the plug. Let's just get the guitarist to the front. Let's just kind of, you know, dim the lights a little bit. Let's just, just worship. Let's just pray and worship and whatever. You, you know, we, 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 we are a modern church. We're doing all the things. I think it's right to, you know, to try and have good, nice lighting and a nice building and all of that stuff and a website and all of this. But at the end of the day, our, our, our thing is God and people. Yeah. That's it. Our thing is God and people. And we do all of those things for God and people. But if we can only worship when the lighting's working or when the kind of music's right or blah, 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 there is a problem and we need to kind of stop and sort that out, don't we? Do everything without complaining. Rejoice always. Be, and, and basically what he's saying is, because, I'm going to ignore that, because of what you've got. Because of what you've got. And he's talking about Jesus Christ. He says in Christ. What he means by that is what you have in your relationship with Christ. Rejoice always in that. How on earth? Come on, give him, give him a round of, not me. 
Give the word a round of applause. Come on, let's do this. Let's cheer. Let's kind of shout. Let's high five and all of that stuff. Paul, how could Paul do this? Because some of you in here can't. I struggle. Tell him I'll be back in a bit. Send to phone me back. I'm busy at the moment. I can't. I struggle, right? I struggle. It's a daily battle for me to be positive, to be happy, to rejoice. The, the, the stuff that sometimes we go through, it's a daily battle. It's a daily battle. But I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. And I'm making a choice each and every day to be positive, to keep believing, to keep trusting, to keep my faith and my trust in God. Come on. Because how could Paul do this? Because he knew, I've already said it really, he knew that God was in control of his life, not circumstances and not people. It was God. God has the final say. He is more powerful. He is the higher. He is the authority. His word counts more than anyone else's. God. That's how Paul could rejoice in the midst of his circumstances. Stop making others responsible for your happiness. Number two. Talk about the Ten Commandments. It's the last one. The last of the ten. There's there's more than just the ten. They were just the kind of major ten that were that Moses was given on the tablet and then had to rewrite himself when he smashed them in frustration with the church, with his church. Imagine being so frustrated with your church that you just, God's given you the Ten Commandments, uh, uh, you know, written in God's own hand, 40 days at the top of Mount Ararat. And was it Ararat? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, 40 days up there and then he's like, smashes them. I mean, wow. What, I tell you what, what grace and relationship Moses had with God that God didn't just strike him down right there, right then. I mean, God, God was angry with Moses on some occasions. Moses didn't even get into the promised land. You know that, don't you? Only Joseph, uh, Joshua and Caleb got into the promised land out of an entire nation. Only Joshua and Caleb got into the promised land. Even Moses never got, and Moses, wow. Wow, he says, I, he says when, when the people were talking about Moses, God says this of Moses, right? He says, how dare you criticize Moses, right? He says, I speak with him face to face. The people are grumbling and, oh, wow. I tell you what, talk about relationships. It's not in the three, but honor. Honor. Can we just, just put that as a heading? Stick it as 2A? Two, 1B, something like that, you know what I mean? In brackets in there, honor, honor. How, how can you, uh, honor, wow. I, I honor people, I do my best. Oh man, wow. Anyway, number two, right? The last commandment. Basically, stop wanting what other people have got. <coughs> stop wanting what's not yours, what belongs to somebody else. Looking at what other people have got and like being, I want that right? Don't do that stuff, right? That stuff will kill you. Honestly, it's a commandment because it's so important to help you. It'll kill you. It'll absolutely kill you. My advice, the way I've handled this, because I think you can be inspired 
by other people. You can see other people doing stuff and go, wow, I'd love to do that. What this means is covetousness. That's the word that's used in the Old Testament. It's still used today. It's an English word as well. To cover, to want something that somebody else has. And the way I've handled that is I've gone, okay, I, I, I want to kind of have that, but I don't want to take that off them. That's theirs. So God, what have you got for me? That would be my personal, that's not in the Bible now, that would just be my, but I think it lines up with what the word teaches us. That would be my advice, would be to go to God and say, hey God, I don't want to take from someone else, that's theirs. And here's the thing about it, right? There's, there's an inherent lack of faith. If you're wanting to take something off somebody else, there's a lack of faith there that, that doesn't realize that God is a creative creator God. He is the creator, right? So he doesn't need to take from someone else to give to you. He can create something perfect just for you. Just for you. That's yours. He doesn't have to take. In fact, why would you want theirs when God can give you yours that's made personally for you? That's faith right there. It's theirs, not yours. Stop wanting it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the biblical example, King David. So just a little backdrop to the story of King David. You all know David and Goliath. This is one of the, we could walk to Lidl, couldn't we? And they'd go, David, yeah. The guy, Goliath guy, yeah, I know who he is. I've heard of him. So we all know David, don't we, right? So David, the backdrop to the story, some of you will know this, some of you may not, is that David, when he was a boy, was chosen to be the king as a boy, as a young boy. The, the, the prophet went to his home, and there's a big story behind that. I won't go into it because of time. And David's chosen to be king, right? He then turns up at the battle where, well, there wasn't even a battle going on. There was just cowardice on Saul's side. Saul's the king who God's kind of really annoyed with and frustrated with and blah, blah, blah. God never really wanted Saul as king. The people wanted Saul as king. But basically, David turns up at the battle, ends up going to Goliath and defeating Goliath, and, and then ends up serving Saul, the king king. Now all the way through this, the, the backdrop of the story is that, that David, Saul is really pleased with David. Saul's like, this is great. I've got this young lad, right? And he's going and fighting battles for me. And it's blessing me. Like someone turns up on your team and they're just pulling up trees. They're doing amazing stuff and it's blessing you. Your workload's lighter and everything. It's like, wow, this is incredible. Saul's like made up until the day. Until the day when David's coming home from another one of his battles and, and the people start cheering. David's killed, sorry, Saul's killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands. And this becomes a chant like a football crowd. And these, the people don't realize what they're doing because the king's up there in his counting house, counting out his money in his palace, and he's hearing this. He's hearing them suddenly praising David more than him. They're, they're really, they're mocking him. They're going, ah, Saul's great, but David's better. David's cool. He's the one. He's the man. David's best thing since sliced bread. He's awesome. He's the new hero. He's all over Instagram. They're Facebooking him. They're getting selfies with him. Come on, David. And they're like posting it. I've got a date. And like Saul's past now. They were doing that with Saul years ago. Suddenly Saul's got a thousand followers. David's got tens of thousands of followers. They're like, wow, David's the man. He's great. And Saul's furious. Saul suddenly hates him. He just flips. 
He goes insane. He starts throwing spears at him, starts trying to kill him, starts treating him with contempt. You name it, he's still using him. Here's the thing, right? He still uses him. He's still got him there ministering to him and everything. I mean, this is like, this is horrendous stuff. Have you ever had this happen to you? I've had this happen to me. I've had someone, in fact, it's happened on a couple of occasions where they've been stabbing me in the back and whilst they're stabbing me in back with one hand, they're kind of taking from me with the other hand. Anyone had that go on to you? Thing is, I've known that it's been happening. You kind of, sometimes you know, don't you? Sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you do know. And this is what's going on with Saul. He's stabbing him in the back, throwing spears at him, stabbing him in the front, to be fair. But he's also, like, using him as well. And you know what David does? David treats him with respect. David treats him with respect. His own son... Is coming to him and he's saying, my, dad's, my dad wants to kill you, and, and, but I'm with you. I'm on your side. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to help you and all of this. And, 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 and all of this is going on. Saul goes insane. He, 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 he starts doing evil, wicked things. I'm on about murdering prophets, all of this stuff. David has to flee and go on the run. Saul chases him with an army. David ends up on two occasions, two separate occasions, where David has the opportunity to kill Saul, he's face to face with him. Saul's asleep and he spares his life. And here's the, the, the point of the story, right? That David, I am sure that David could have felt justified in wanting Saul's throne. He'd been promised it by God. She could have gone like, yeah, God's promised it me, so that's mine. Saul's mistreating him. Like, this guy's being horrible to me. I, I've, it's my right now, I should have it. Stab me in the back. And Saul's gone evil. He's gone west. He's gone rogue. He's, he's just off on one. It's like, whoa, he's just not one of us anymore. What is he doing? This is awful. Could you imagine being in that situation? Would you feel, imagine your kind of boss just goes mad, you know what I mean? And like he's wrecking the company. He's, you know what I mean? You name it, he's, he's treating it wrong and everything and he's, he's stabbing you in the back and all of this. You could feel like I want his job. You could feel justified in that. Imagine like, you know, someone had promised you it or God had promised it to you. You could feel justified, couldn't you? Yet David never coveted it. He never wanted what was Saul's. He said these words, these five words, that's counting the check. <laughs> Touch not the Lord's anointed. He said, no matter what, touch not the Lord's anointed. Faith, right there. The, the, what God had promised. God was able to fulfill. No matter what, God was able to fulfill it. David didn't have to steal it. He didn't have to take it. He didn't have to do any of those things. Do not covet. Stop wanting something that's not yours and instead ask God, hey God, what have you got for me? What have you got that's just for me, that's just perfect for me? David got the throne in the end, but he didn't rejoice over the way he got it. He didn't glory in Saul's death that is how it ended up. But God didn't let it go on forever. The third one, the final point, 
The final thing, so many we could kind of talk about. Um, but the third one I want to talk about is, if you want to have healthy, deep, meaningful relationships, long-lasting ones, healthy, they're good, they're sound, they're not just like some kind of, you know, evil relationship that's just kind of a horrible click that no one else is blessed by just you and nobody else but the healthy the kind of they, they benefit everyone not just you they benefit each other's and and anyone that's around you meaningful there's a meaning to it there's, there's a reason for the relationship there's a higher call and a higher purpose and it's deep it's more than just on the surface. Then the third thing I would suggest you need is you need connection. Connection. In your communication, the, the value of your life is directly proportional to the value of your relationships. The quality, the value of your life is directly proportional to the quality and the value of your relationships. Not how much money you've got, what car you're driving, what house you live in, where you live, what title you've got. None of those things. Not whether you've just cured cancer and now you're on to diabetes. I don't know, whatever. None of those things. Not how many people you've raised from the dead or how many miracles you've performed or how many people are friends with you on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or any of those things. But actually down to your, because they're not deep relationships, are they? on social media. They're not kind of deep, are they? It's directly proportional to, to how good your relationships are. And here's the thing, right? Most people with, in their communication with people, they connect, they, they talk to fix things. Yeah? Like, you know, and, and, and I'm a guy, so I'm as guilty as anyone for this. You know what I mean? Vicky comes and this is wrong and I'm like, get me toolbox out, I'll fix it. You know what I mean? I know what's wrong. I know what the thing is you need to do. Or they do it to win because they think this relationship's going to help me. I, I, I can, I can get, get a leg up here. Or they do it to learn, to learn something. Now, these things in and of themselves are not necessarily wrong. But if that is your sole purpose, if that is your primary objective when you're with others, to fix stuff, to win, to learn stuff from them, to glean from them, I, I, that's wrong. Right? You, you're getting it the wrong way around. Make your primary purpose to connect with the other person on a deeper, more meaningful, to get to know them and who they are, a deep, genuine connection with them. Make that your primary goal. Those three things will come from that. If you make that your primary goal, you will fix stuff, you will win, you will learn stuff, but you'll all win, you'll all fix stuff, you'll all learn, you'll all grow. There's a famous story about um, Disraeli and Gladstone. These were two guys that were wanting to become president, uh, not president, president, uh, the prime minister of the United Kingdom. I think, they, what was the year? 1867. 
And these two uh, contenders for Prime Minister Disraeli and Gladstone, they both met with a young lady on a date, as I understand it. Uh, that might be slightly wrong. But basically, the press were waiting outside. They were really desperate to find out what happened in this situation. The press must have known about it. Uh, maybe it wasn't a date as a romantic date, but this lady met with them. So the first one, Gladstone, she met with him and she came out and she reported to the press that, that Gladstone, she said, when I was with him, I felt like he was the cleverest man in the country. Wow. When I was with him, it felt like he was the cleverest man in the country. Sounds like a great contender for prime minister, doesn't it? Until she met with Disraeli. And Disraeli, she said this of him, she said, when I was with Disraeli, I felt like I was the cleverest man or cleverest woman, cleverest person in the country. When I was with Disraeli, I felt like I was the cleverest person in the country. Guess who went on to become Prime Minister? Disraeli. Disraeli. And right there is a man who knows connection. He's in that conversation, he's not trying to impress He's not trying to show her what his credentials are and how he should be the next prime minister. He's not on the, the campaign trail, as it were. He's just with this woman and he's thinking about her. He's connecting with her. He's getting to understand her and who she is and what makes her tick and he's getting to know her. He's forming a deep, meaningful relationship with that person right there. And, and really... Oh, man, you could pick your, your Bible verse and that would fit in right there. Doesn't it say in the New to prefer one another? The golden rule, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you were in a room with someone, would you rather that they made you feel like the cleverest person in the room or they made you feel like they were the cleverest person in the room? I know what we'd all prefer. And it's about putting others first. It's about thinking of others. It's about taking that humble position, being meek, being mild. Paul says to, that, that we should let our reasonableness be known to all men. Our reasonableness. Not our credentials, how great we are, how impressive we are, any of those things, but our reasonableness. Taking the humble seat. Allowing the other to shine. Allowing God to shine. Making about other things than yourself. And Jesus said this, he said, then when you do this, all these things will be added unto you. Amen? Amen. Take that away. Use it. We've got another few weeks of this coming up. We're going to bless you about relationships. Hopefully you'll grow in your relationships. You'll become more and more healthy. You'll win. The quality of your life is directly proportional to the quality of your relationships. Let's spend some time together as a church forming deep, meaningful, healthy relationships. I promise you, we won't regret it and we will grow. God bless you guys.